everyone to another wonderful episode of my weird little podcast. Yay! Um, tonight, uh, tonight, as I forget, what are we, what are we doing? What is what is life? <laughs> tonight we're doing something. Um, and as I make a bunch of noise on my desk. All right, he's, you're gonna edit all that out. Um, so tonight. Uh, we are talking about two very real conspiracies. Well, conspiracies that aren't conspiracies, they're pretty much real. Um, yours is still like a conspiracy, but mine was a conspiracy for a long time. Pretty much the government has admitted that this is a thing that did happen. So, uh, but we'll get into that uh, in a moment. First off, though, I do want to shout out to our fans uh, that are out there. We have a few of them, even though we're just starting out. I'd like to shout out to Kai, Tiffany, and Diana uh, for always liking all my posts and listening to uh, this a wonderful, weird podcast. I don't right. know if it's wonderful. It's all right. But <laughs> thank you for listening. <laughs> Um and uh, and happy Thanksgiving, yes. <laughs> um. So, uh, tonight, uh, oh, first off, tonight our hosts are Patrick. What's up? Hello, hello. And and me, Tia. Like always, I'm always here. Um. This will be our first episode. Is this our first episode that we're doing as a couple? Um, no, as a couple, I don't know. that's funny. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have put it like that, but I guess so. Yeah. Did we, did we do one for? No, not for podcast? my little, little podcast. I mean, I feel like I've jumped in on you know one with you and like Teresa, I mean, maybe yeah. Roxana, but... No, you bought you butted it in. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Yeah, you were on the. You were on the natural disaster, catastrophic disaster episode, but that's true uh, that, yeah, but this is the first time it's just you and me uh, because we are behind in recordings and I had to make up for a long vacation time that we took of three and weeks. I do such a good job at this type of stuff. So. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> yep sure sure um so anyways um i think i need to go first actually because my story is first i guess chronologically mine takes place starting in the 1930s on to the 1950s right yeah yeah that would yeah, i mean and yours we, is we like usually, what usually go chronologically yeah that that would that would make sense. You go in first. Okay. I'm going to assume yours is after that since you agreed. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mine's definitely. Well, <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. yeah well, I mean, the, the story kind of develops um, after that. You know, obviously, I'm going to get into the history of it and stuff like that, you know, because the history definitely goes back pretty far. But um, the, the site itself, the thing itself is you know just a recent conversation so because i would i don't know the new story that came out about it you know i think it was like 2008 or something so. all right well i'll just go first 
So I am talking about, uh, actually I want, I kind of want it to reveal itself, but obviously you've all read the title of this episode probably by now. So um, I'm sure you can all guess what I'm going to talk about, but I'm going to start out with a little definition of what uh, lysergic acid diethylamide (laughs) (laughs) everyone's like what the heck is that um lysergic acid acid diethylamide which i know i'm pronouncing wrong also known as lsd also known as acid so uh if you don't know it is a psychedelic drug the effects typically include intensified thoughts, emotions, and sensory perception. Sufficiently high doses, uh, LSD manifests primarily visual and auditory hallucinations. It can also create dilated pupils, increase blood pressure, and increase body temperature. So, this is what LSD does. Trust me, this is all relevant to what I'm about to get into. So, LSD by, binds uh, to the dopamine receptors uh, in addition to serotonin receptors, and its effects are also more energetic and fast-paced compared to uh, other psychedelic uh, psychedelics such as psilocybin. Uh, oh, God. P S I L O C Y psilocybin 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 is that what's in mushrooms, right? Yes. Which is not a dopamine agonist. I don't know. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Wikipedia's getting at me right now. Um, (laughs) So effects typically begin with half an within half an hour okay effects typically begin within half an hour and can last for up to 20 hours lsd is also capable of uh mystical experiences and ego disillusions albeit less frequently uh than compounds such as what's the word oh psilocybin sorry pat (laughs) <laughs> what no I, I i didn't know i was i didn't know i was the dictionary for the episode <laughs> yeah okay all right pay attention here uh, yeah. uh, so it is mainly used as a recreational drug or for spiritual reasons lsd is both prototypically psychedelic and is one of the classical psychedelics being the psychedelic with the greatest scientific and cultural significance it is considered to be non non-addictive with low potential for abuse. I'm just going to say that. With low potential for abuse. This is what Wikipedia says. No, that's true. With, right? low, um, like, so does not, it's not like. I'm going to say yes, non-addictive. Low potential for abuse is laughable when I get into what I'm about to say and how it was used. Um Okay. I guess okay, right. the individual wouldn't choose to abuse this, but it was definitely used as a way of abusing people. 
So I find that line interesting to say the least. Mm, Anyways, okay. there are, so there are no recorded uh, successful attempts to train animals to self-administer in a laboratory setting. Um, so wonderful. They have uh, given animals LSD. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> so um, uh, adverse psychological reactions are possible, such as anxiety, paranoia, and delusion. And it is possible for LSD to induce either intermittent or chronic visual hallucinations in spite of no further use. And some individuals typically in the absence of the psychological effects associated with LSD. So you can also have hallucinations after the fact that after you are using it or yeah, or other hallucinations. So, yeah. So while over overdose of LSD is unknown, despite there being various case studies of individuals taking extremely high dosage, LSD can cause injury and death as a result of accidents stemming from psychological impairment, which, yes, we will get into that as well. So basically, you could be so impaired that you cause yourself harm, which I guess is any sort of impairing drugs even alcohol but <sighs> i digress <laughs> anyways uh i have never done acid i don't plan on doing acid and I'm, this is 100 percent not a judgment on people who willingly take acid who have mystical experiences and who willingly cho choose to do this to themselves in a safe environment amongst friends in a place where it is controlled by all means please do that please go out have fun be safe about it be smart about it and make good choices mm -hmm. if, if lsd to you is that is the choice you want to make so be it i'm not judging i'm not saying you should or shouldn't i'm just saying be safe and make your choices for yourself that you think is best however do not make choices for other people and uh, that's going to be the moral of today's story with this. So LSD was first first synthesized. Oh, God, I hate words. LSD, good thing I chose a hobby where everything I have to do is say words. You know, in my, my day job is also saying words, although you would not ever think that. Um, for those who are listening, I am a tour guide at a reputable museum in Las Vegas um, that may or may not be spooky, but, um, oh God. Okay. Anyways, um, I love my job. Um, LSD was first synthesized <laughs> by Swiss chemist Albert Hoffman in 1938 from lysergic acid, a chemical derived from hydrolysis of agrotamine an alkaline of ergot, a fungus that infects primarily rye and other grains. So he was trying to develop a respiratory stimulant, and he discovered its effect in around 1943 after somehow unintentionally ingesting the substance, possibly absorbing it through his skin, which if you've ever seen SLC Punk, is very possible. <laughs> uh, 
if you don't know what I'm talking about, Devin Sawa puts acid in his pocket and runs through the sprinklers and burns himself out and has long-lasting effects from it. Um, Which is a movie and may not be real. But I'm pretty sure you can absorb acid through your skin. Um, So LSD was a subject to, uh, was subject to exceptional interest within the field of psychiatry in the 1950s and 60s. With, uh, so, yep. I digress. Anyways, so that brings us to my conspiracy on uh, the Cold War and Project MK Ultra. Oh, before I go any further, I got most of my information from Wikipedia, Bailey Syrian, History.com, um, as well as a few other YouTube shows that I watched. Uh, so watch YouTube, subscribe to your favorite channels. Um, there are so many good ones out there. Ah, shit, I should look up what his name is. He does one. I'll have to shout out to him on the next episode, but there are so many good ones, um, out there. So, I, this is how I learn all of this stuff. I am a, uh, student of YouTube (laughs) and other podcasts, but most of this I got from history.com. So the Cold War and Project MK Ultra. Wait, say it in Megatron's voice. Uh, Yeah. MK Ultra. Nice. Nice. Okay, wait, do someone else's voice. No, I don't know. It's just someone else's. That's why I said <laughs> Just do a different one. MK Ultra. <laughs> I'm from New York. <laughs> you want some LSD over here? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Okay. In, in the 1950s and 60s, the height of the Cold War, the government feared that Soviet uh, Ch- Chinese and North Korean agents were using mind control to brainwash U.S. prisoners of war in Korea, which they may or may not have been doing. They were probably using things more similar to, uh, you know, typical brainwashing like that would break a person down from torture, you know, or, uh, you know... Now I'm blanking on every single form of torture. Uh, not that I know all of them, but but like techniques that a cult would use that breaks a person down, techniques that reform schools use, you know, and you know they're probably using physical torture and mental tortures rather than a sort of a drug, you know, or any sort of mystical thing, you know, that they were being suspicious of, you know, I don't know. Anyways, so uh, in response to this, Alan Doles, director of the Central Intelligence Agency, also known as... All right. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, I didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) Also known as... The CIA. Approved a a project MKUltra in 1953. 
The covert operation aimed to develop techniques that would that could be used against Soviet uh, block enemies to control human behavior with drugs and other psychological manipulators. All right, so that sounds, you know, yeah, okay, yes, maybe we could look into this, but um, the program involved more than 150 human experiments involving the psychedelic drug, uh, also par- paralytics and electroshock therapy. Some test subjects, uh, some test subjects knew they were participating in the study, but others had no idea. So many of the tests were conducted at universities, hospitals, or prisons in the United States and Canada. Most of these took place between 1953 and 1964, but it's not clear how many people were involved in the test. Agencies kept notoriously poor records and destroyed most of MKUltra's documents when the program was officially halted in 1973, which is crazy. Like, how long this went on? So, one of these is probably the most questionable thing I have ever heard of the government doing. It is a project called Operation Midnight Climax. And if that sounds like a poor name, it's because it's supposed to. Now, this is not like uh, Deep Throat, you know. Uh, actually, no, well, maybe similar. It's still like a covert uh, project that the CIA is, or, you know, creating. But so That's Operation funny. Midnight Climax uh, <laughs> was a project in which the government employed prostitutes to lure unsuspecting men to the CIA's safe houses where they were drugged and experiments took place. They would dose the men with LSD, usually by giving them cocktails. You know, the the women would give them a drink and they would be watched behind two-way mirrors and the CIA would basically document the men's behavior as they were unknowingly drugged. And they would have recording devices throughout the rooms that were disguised as electrical outlets. So, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, that not that horrifying, though? Yeah, that's fucking You crazy. know? So, basically, they were roofing these men with LSD and spying on them as they had complete freakouts because they had no idea what was going on. So most of Operation Midnight Climax took place in San Francisco and Marin County, California, uh, some in New York City. The program had little oversight and the CIA agents involved admitted that a free-willing, party-like atmosphere prevailed. That's probably why they didn't have very many notes or records on this. Um, <laughs> so, basically, it was like a total shit show. Um, so, that this is what an agent, George White, wrote um, in 1971, 
Of course, I was a very minor missionary, actually a heretic, but I toiled wholeheartedly in the vineyards because it was fun. Fun, fun. Where else could a red-blooded American boy lie, kill, and cheat, steal, device, rape, and pillage with the sanction and blessing of the All-Highest? So that is an agent's quote on this project, uh, Midnight Operation, sorry, Operation Midnight Climax. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that was a thing. That's crazy. So that's not even the worst of it. The worst of it is probably what happened to poor CIA research scientist Frank Olson. So, I don't know if if you've heard of this of what happened. I know you're familiar with MK Ultra, Ultra, and like a little bit of this. Um, that's it. You're just right. No, sorry. I thought you were, were going to talk more about the story because I'm, I'm not exactly sure. No, no, I just, I was asking you, no, I am talking more about the story, but yeah, no, sorry, I just wanted a little input, but that's okay. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> I thought you were just going to continue talking. I didn't want to interrupt. No, but I'm familiar with MK Ultra, you know, but yeah, not, not the exact details. Um, okay, so anyways, just cut all that, edit all that out. That was bad banter. <laughs> um, okay, so... Frank Olson. So Frank Olson was a biological warfare scientist. In 1953, the CIA reached out to work with him on their mind control technology. So, which Frank agreed to do. He, they said that he was the man for this job. Frank agreed to do it. As time went on, though, Frank became suspicious of the project. Huh, I wonder why. You know, seems like everything they were doing was on the up and up, but, uh, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, he would see that the CIA were abusing their power and he witnessed interviews where people were being treated inhumanely. He saw test subjects being tortured. So he eventually spoke up to the CIA about this, which I'm sure went over great in 1953, in 1953, he was invited to a men's retreat for the CIA, and at this retreat, he's handed a cocktail. During the night, he started to feel unwell, and then the walls began to melt. (laughs) Sometime in the night, an announcement was made that some of the drinks had been spiked with LSD. And Frank inevitably ended up having a very bad trip that night. So after the men's retreat, he had some long-lasting effects. He fell into a depression, and he confided in one of his coworkers that he was very unhappy with this project, with his position, and he did not like where he saw things were headed. So Frank had, after this too, some more effects was that Frank uh, couldn't sleep or concentrate. He had trouble spelling. So eventually the CIA approached him about him being hospitalized. 
and he agreed that this was a good idea and they were going to send him to a hospital that was in another town. So the night before he checks into the hospital, he has dinner. So he checks into this hotel with his friend or uh, who is a CIA coworker and a doctor. Sorry, he checks into a hotel the night before the uh, before he's supposed to be admitted into the hospital because it was in another town. And uh, he's uh, accompanied by his doctor and a CIA coworker. And they go out to dinner that night. At dinner that night, they, uh, they, sorry, at dinner that night, Frank tells them that he was actually looking forward to being hospitalized and being able to reset and kind of have some time to himself, probably because he had been going through, you know, some depression and he was pretty stressed out at that time. So eventually Frank went back to his room and allegedly jumped out the window and committed suicide. So uh, this is all on November 28th, 1953, and it was deemed a suicide. However, the night before his suicide on November 27th of 1953, a phone call from Frank's room had been made to a person within the CIA stating that Frank had died. The family of Frank Olson decided to have an autopsy performed in 1994, and the forensic team found injuries on the body that had likely occurred before the fall. The findings sparked conspiracy theories that Olson might have been assassinated by the CIA. After prolonged legal proceedings, Olson's family was awarded a settlement of $750,000 and received a personal apology from President General Ford and the CIA Director William Colby. So, I mean, you're not going to apologize for something you didn't do, especially publicly, you know, and award money publicly for something that you didn't do. So this is basically proof that this was something that actually happened. Now, some people who are famous that uh, claim that they were test subjects of MKUltra. I know Charles Manson at one point claimed that he was a test subject of MKUltra. Sorry. Words. I can't talk today. Uh. All right. I know. uh, So some famous people have claimed that they were test subjects of MKUltra. I know Charles Manson had claimed at one point that he was a test subject of MKUltra. Ken Casey, Kesey, Ken Kesey, uh, the author of my absolute favorite book, 1962's novel, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest said that he had volunteered for MKUltra experiments with uh, LSD while he was in college at Stanford University. Kesey would later go on to promote the drug, and he would host LSD-fueled parties that he called acid tests. Acid tests were where he would combine the drug uh, and have musical performances by bands, including the Grateful Dead, 
and the psychedelic effects such as uh, and have psychedelic effects such as fluorescent paint and black lights. This sounds awesome. <laughs> this sounds awesome and eerily similar to some parties that I've had sans acid. You know, uh, these parties influenced the early development of the hippie culture and started the 1960s psychedelic drug scene. Go Kesey. Right. That's one of my favorite books. Um, having known about this, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest really does touch a lot on being controlled and not being in control of yourself and trying to do something that you think might be good for yourself, but it backfiring quickly. And a lot of these themes are, are within One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Also not knowing what reality is. That book very much plays on the fact that you don't really know if you're in reality or not. But it is through the eyes of someone who is in, in a mental asylum. So it's hard to say. Um, it's a great book. It is definitely one of my favorites. The movie doesn't do it as much justice. The movie's great. Um, I think, you know, Jack Nicholson is really great in it. He's not exactly who I would cast as that role, but he's really great. Um, Danny DeVito, baby Danny DeVito breaks my heart in that movie. Um, yeah, Ugh, I'm like going to tear up just thinking about his character. So heartbreaking. Um, but the mo the book really does get a lot further into this idea of what is reality, not being in control of yourself, these powers that be experimenting on you and you know doing whatever they please with you whenever they like so that makes sense anyways other notable people who reportedly volunteered for cia backed experiments with lsd include robert hunter the grateful dead lyricist and ted kaczynski better known as the Unibom unabomber better known as the unabomber <laughs> Uh, also, James Joseph Whitey Bulger, the notorious Bo Boston mobster. Crazy. Yeah. That's from the from the Departed. Yeah. Nice. Uh, in 1974, New York Times journalist Seymour Hirsch published a story about how the CIA CIA published a story about how the CIA conducted non-consensual drug experiments and illegal spying operations on U.S. citizens. His, his, his report started a lengthy process of bringing long-suppressed details about MKUltra to light. Uh, in 1975, President Ford, in wake of the Watergate scandal and amid growing distress of the U.S. government, huh, wonder why, why why would people not trust the US government? You know? Watergate. <laughs> uh, he set up a United States President's Commission on CIA act activities within the United States to investigate illegal CIA activities, including Project MK Ultra and other experiments on unsuspecting citizens. 
The commission was led by Vice President Nelson Rockefeller and is commonly referred to as the Rockefeller Commission. So another uh, committee that went to investigate the CIA was called the Church Committee. Formerly, the United States Senate selected committee to study government operations with respect to intelligence activities. It was a U.S. Senate Select Committee that in 1975 investigated abuses by the CIA, National Security Agency, FBI, and IRS. Cured by Idaho Senator Frank Church, thus the name, the Church Committee, which sounds like a, actually, that sounds like a badass like punk band the church committee that's gonna be my punk band the church committee uh yeah so uh what am i saying where was i uh chaired by idaho senator frank church the committee was part of a series of investigations into intelligence abuse in 1975 which was dubbed the year of intelligence so the most shocking revelations of the committee included Operation MK Ultra involving the drugging and torture of unwitting U.S. citizens as part of human experiments on mind control. Dun dun dun. Uh, also, Coin Telepro, which involving the surveillance and infiltration of American political and civil rights organization. Uh, Family Jewels, a program to covertly covertly assassinate foreign leaders. Operation Mockingbird, as a systematic propaganda campaign with domestic and foreign journalists operating as CIA assets and dozens of U.S. news organizations providing cover for CIA activity. Yay! <laughs> so all of that was basically exposed um and all of this i thought this was an interesting little note that the history.com made the connection with foreshadowing the 2013 global surveillance disclosure by snowden it is also unearthed project shamrock in which the major telecommunication companies shared their traffic with the NSA. So because of the church committee, because of uh, Seymour Hirsch uh, and these various revelations, uh, President Ford's 1976 executive order on the intelligence activities uh, prohibited experimentation with drugs on human subjects except with the informed consent in written and witnessed by disinterested parties of each such human subject and now that is completely illegal and that is mk ultra hope you feel good about yourself now doesn't that give you faith in Nothing. Faith in nothing. Um, so, live in fear, everyone. Live in fear. 
All right. Your turn. All right. Mine's about a water fountain. That's joking. <laughs> no, but it is about island, isn't it? So I guess it's oh, surrounded true. by yeah, water. Is, uh, well, I kind of, yeah, I did, I did, I did uh, Montauk Island, um, which I guess was more yeah. like when I said before, like the article that that was in reference to the Montauk monster, which people might be familiar with, which is like a thing an animal creature of some kind that was discovered on the shores of Montauk Island. Yeah. Or, Wasn't that me debunked or at least said that it was a raccoon that had like lost its skin or something or was like there's, rotting. There's definitely been several. Um, it's still kind of debated. Most people have said that, you know, it doesn't really fit most body types. It doesn't, like it has certain things like a raccoon, but then the body type itself doesn't really match. Yeah. You know, the face does, but the body doesn't, or vice versa. I yeah. just actually uh, finished reading an article the other day about how somebody has debunked it as being a pit bull. Oh, okay. Which kind of the their background on that is because uh, New York is very uh, dog fighting is still a thing, you know? Oh yeah. And there are dogs that, um, are found, you know, found sometimes dispatched or disposed of. And if they throw them in the water, they usually bind the legs so that they can't try to swim. So they'll just sink, you know? So that's probably why the legs were found bound together. But that's, that's another theory. Cause when you look at it, a lot of that stuff doesn't match up, you know, cause some people are like, yeah. It looks like it has a beak, but it doesn't. Anyway, I don't know. I get. Well, I'll definitely get a bunch more into it later on. Yeah, um, and I'm definitely gonna uh, next season. I'm doing an episode on cryptids, so some of this will probably come up a little bit on that episode. There are several cryptids, though. Uh, out there are theories on these cryptids, uh, these creatures that may or may not exist. You know. Probably some of them do exist, you know, because we have not explored everything and new creatures are being found all the time. But anyways, yeah, go right, ahead. Yeah. Get in your story no, no, before no, no, no. we tangent it out. Right, yeah. Before we change this over to the Loch Ness Monster. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is uh, yeah about Montauk, New York. I guess before I get into it, I got my stuff from, of course, Wikipedia, because where else do you get any information from? Uh, Google NewYorkTimes.com. I read a couple articles that specifically talked about the labs on Montauk Island, and then Science.com or HowStuffWorks.com uh, about Plum Island. Um, mm -hmm. So Montauk is a uh, a hamlet, in that the, the and it's also a that's kind of like it's a. Uh, what was it? a census designated place or CDP? Um, this what does that mean? They kind of reminded me of uh, uh, how they could talk about Vegas, you know. Oh, paradise, happened, you know, an unincorporated place. Sort of. It's sort of like that. Um, but to, to define it, I, I wanted to, you know, so people know um, is a concentration of population defined by the United States Census Bureau for statistical purposes only. Uh, CDPs have been used in decennial censuses since 1980 as the counterparts of incorporated places, such as self-governing cities, towns, and villages, for the purpose of gathering and correlating st statistical data. Um, so basically, 
they're they're saying that Montauk itself is pretty pretty small because, I mean, it's mostly woods and a couple of these labs and stuff that exist on the island. Um, so the population, yeah. according to this, yeah. CDP most is, like uh, three thousand. Sorry, what's up? I was gonna say most most unincorporated places are really small. Uh, Paradise is definitely the most populated and probably the biggest. Um, uh, to my listeners, definitely look into Paradise, Nevada, which is also known mostly or referred to as Las Vegas, even though it's not. It is fascinating. It is so interesting how this is a unincorporated place that is super popular, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, I know that has nothing well to do with your story, so I'll let you continue. No, <laughs> So the yeah the population is like three thousand three hundred and twenty six according to the two thousand ten United States Census, um, but like like you were talking about unincorporated places, you know they don't uh, the boundaries of ACDP have no legal status and may not always correspond with local understanding of the area or community with the same name, and also doesn't have to necessarily abide by the same laws. Um, so I think there's kind of a legal loophole that already presents this island as being an easy conspiracy target, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the CDP encompasses an area that stretches approximately 13 miles from Napig, New York. I should have looked up how to say that. Napigu. Napigu. That sounds like more like a New York thing. Napigu. Taking the ferry to Napigu. <laughs> How do you spell it? How do you spell it? N a p e a g u e. Napigu. 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 Napigu is what I want to say. Anyway. And for the rest um, of the night, we spend it figuring right, this word exactly. out. <laughs> we still don't figure it out, too. I'm sure by the end. Um, so this goes from Napigu, New York, to the easternmost tip of New York State at Montauk Point Light, uh, which is actually a lighthouse on Montauk Island. Um, it encompasses a small area about halfway between these two points. Uh, located at the tip of the South Fork Peninsula of Long Island, 118 miles east of Midtown Manhattan, uh, Montauk has been used as an Army, Navy, Coast Guard, and Air Force base. The Montauk Point Light was the first lighthouse in New York State and is the fourth oldest active lighthouse in the United States. Uh, It is a major tourist destination and has six state parks, uh, famous for fishing, claiming to have more saltwater fishing records than any other port in the world, located 20 miles off the Connecticut coast, which I thought was hilarious that it has more more saltwater fishing records than any other port in the world, because that also lends the... Uh, credibility to the conspiracy that these uh, animals that exist around the island where these labs are, are getting bigger. So, so these people that are fishing off of these islands are getting like huge fucking fish. And it's like, or is it because they're mutated? You know, I don't know. But just reading this and already having a background, it already kind of gears your mind to think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whether or not that's true or not or whatever. Um, A judgment was entered in 1851 against the trustees of the freeholders and commonality of the town of East Hampton. And on March 9th, 1852, a deed to Montauk was given to Henry P. Hedges 
and others because their predecessors has contributed the money to purchase the Montauk from the native Montaukit Indians in the 1600s. Uh, so apparently, yeah, they were just trying to operate this as like a, uh, uh, you know, a thing for the country when, you know, it was really belonged to people that purchased it from the Indians in the 1600s before, you know, it was even a country, you know, at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this deed caused the lands covered by Dongan um, patent to be split, leaving the still unsettled lands at Montauk without government. Less than one month later, on April 2nd, 1852, a state law was passed that incorporated the proprietor's Montauks, uh, establishing the corporation of the trustees of Montauk and affirming it its right to govern. Um, then they brought up uh, this uh, guy's uh, Stephen Talkhouse, uh, or Talkus, but they called him Talkhouse. Um, Pharaoh was a Montauk Native American of the late 19th century who was known or famed for his 25 to 50 mile daily round trips from Montauk, New York to East Hampton and Sag Harbor. Um, which is a ridiculous daily trip, 25 to 50 miles. That's crazy. Like I could not do that <laughs> in my lifetime ever. Uh, but landmarks along the foot route have or been he's driving. Him. No, he's, I mean, I guess it could have been on horseback, probably. It doesn't really say. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, what year is this? Sorry, I spaced out. No, you're good. Uh, this is uh, 1850s, probably. Oh, okay, so yeah, he's 1860s. not driving a car. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and he's probably on horseback. So, yeah, there's that, too. Yeah. Um, he was said yeah. to be a descendant of Chief Wyandanch. Yeah, okay. <laughs> who sold much, much of the eastern end of Long Island to Lion Gardner. Uh, Talkhouse died August 30th, 1879 at age 58. He's buried uh, off of East Lake Drive in Montauk, now located within Theodore Roosevelt County Park. The remains of, him home, remains of his home are also located there. Parts of his route have, of his route have been commemorated as part of the Pomonok Path. So also... Now this is literally an Indian burial ground that this is on. So like flag number 20, you know, for this place. Um, well, um, you only gone over like, one so far, but yeah. No, no, no. The, the whole, the fact that it's a CDP, you know, that has no um, legal status. Um, that they they find large um, large the largest fish there you know mm-hmm. um, and then the then the Indian burial ground so far sorry yeah, yeah. It's, yes. it's in it's indigenous tiny exaggeration yeah, indigenous sorry yeah um, I'll I'll correct that indigenous I said it so I can copy and paste it uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Stephen Talkhouse was also displayed in 1867 by P.T. Barnum as the last king of the Montauks, which probably wasn't correct, but it was something to say and put a cool po- poster of a native, you know, of an of a indigenous person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Talkhouse became famous for his walks from Indian fields to New York City. That he was walking. Holy shit! So that's why that's why he was portrayed that way. Yeah, uh, he did twenty-five to fifty miles a day walking. That's crazy. From where did you say Indian Hills? Uh, from Indian Fields to New York City. Indian Fields, okay. Yeah, 
So I was going to say Indian Hills is where that indigenous skull we have at the museum. Oh, that's funny. All right. Is from. That'd, that'd be interesting. That'd be inter- that'd be interesting, but I'm sure a lot of the indigenous lands are called Indian this and that because that's what because that's, that's what white people name them. Of. Yeah, exactly. So in in Yosemite, first street. Cut cut this part out. Cut this out. In Yosemite, uh, they have a place called Curry Village, and I really want to look up why that is called Curry Village. You know. <laughs> Because I'm like, are you thinking Indian, like the other Indians, <laughs> you know, the real right. Indians? Well, it could be but like I'll, Arthur Curry or something, you know? That's true. That's true. Yeah, right. That's probably what it is. That's probably what it is. <laughs> Anyways, cut all that out. Right. I don't want to imply they're. that they're being racist right. when they're not, you know? Okay. So in 1879, Arthur W. Benson paid 151 thousand dollars for ten thousand acres for the east end uh the deed releasing claim to montauk was entered on uh, march 19th and 52 uh benson also received clear title to the montauk property at big reed pond buying it from the tribesmen for ten dollars each and in one case of the tribesmen's houses was burned down the legitimacy of the transaction is still being contested in court by the tribe construction began in 1882 on seven shingle style cottages designed by stanford white which were the centerpiece of Benson's plans. The most prominent of six Montauk Association houses is Tick Hall, uh, which is currently owned by entertainer Dick Cavett. Well, cool. Yeah, yeah, he was not. He's, yeah. he's Dick Cavett, yeah. Uh, in the Great Hurricane of 1938, uh, water flooded across Napigue, turning Montauk into an island. Floodwaters from the hurricane in, inundated the main downtown, and it was moved three miles to the south immediately uh, next to the end. The Atlantic Ocean. So, yeah, that's in 1938. It finally separated, I guess, from New York. Uh, during World War II, the Navy bought most of the East End, including Montauk Manor, to turn it into a military base. Fort Pond Bay became a seaplane base. Uh, the U.S. Army established Camp Hero with 16-inch guns to protect New York shipping lanes. Several concrete bunker observation posts, posts were built along the coast, including one immediately to the east of the Montauk Lighthouse. Base buildings were disguised so they would appear from above as a New England fishing village, which I thought was cool. In 1951, sport fisherman Frank Mundus began to lead charter fishing trips out of Lake Montauk, initially looking for bluefish, but soon found fishing for sharks was more lucrative. The sport of monster fishing became Montauk's signature draw. Hmm. Which can um, be interpreted into something else. Exactly. Monster That's fishing. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. When they're just getting sharks, because it's you know for some reason sharks are there. Um, on September first, nineteen fifty-one, the Pelican, captained by Eddie Carroll, capsized in the shoals off Montauk Point, resulting in the deaths of forty-five passengers and crew. The forty-two foot Pelican was carrying sixty-four people, most of whom had taken the fisherman special trains to the Montauk L I R R station from New York City. The boat left the fishing grilla dock at Fort Pond Bay at 7.30 a.m., severely overloaded. After fishing in the Atlantic Ocean on the south side of Montauk for several hours, it returned home, encountering engine trouble on the way. The weather turned stormy, and a northwest wind developed against an oncoming tide, resulting in standing waves of several feet just off the point. The vessel, wallowing in the heavy seas, became unstable in its overloaded state, capsized, and then uh, foundered at 2.10 p.m. 
Nearby vessels were only able to rescue 19 passengers. The wreck was secured by a fabled sport fisherman, Frank Mundus, and towed into Lake Montauk by the Coast Guard. Um, And as a result of this disaster, uh, strict new regulations were incorporated by the uh, Coast Guard, um, and which were adopted nationwide. Uh, So, like, as always with all the tragedies that we see, you know, at least regulations are put into place to Mm -hmm. hopefully stop this from happening again. Um, but that's not really relevant, I guess. I just wanted to put that in there because I thought it was crazy that that happened because, you know, the more tragedy that happens in one place, the more weird it seems, you know, or believe it's believed to be. Uh, in 1957, the army closed Camp Hero and it was taken over by the air force, which in 1958 built a hundred and, uh, 100 foot wide, uh, radar, uh, which is a huge building that was erected to. Uh, and sorry, and then and also a massive building next to it to house all the computers to interpret the radar. In 1959, the Kitchen debate between the United States President, uh, Vice President Richard Nixon, and Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev, um, uh, the, de- uh, the designers of the kitchen, including Raymond Lowy, announced plans to sell affordable prefabricated houses, houses called Leisurama to be used for second homes. One of the houses was exhibited on the ninth floor of the Macy's. 200 of the houses, the largest installation, were assembled at Culloden Point in Montauk. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever heard, have you ever heard of the kitchen debate? No. So basically, basically in the 1959, all of these, like, it, it kind of looked like, um, like the land of, you know, like the Tomorrowland thing where you go through and see, like, people's houses in the future oh yeah no like they had they had stuff like that at like disneyland and stuff exactly or like world fair type thing you know so so they were trying to called the kitchen debate so the kitchen debate is what uh this is called between so basically richard nixon and nikita khrushchev which are he's vice president at the time and nikita khrushchev is the uh soviet premier which is basically the vice president of russia i guess maybe the president i don't know Mm-hmm. higher high up you know they're basically basically they're coming to talk to each other because this is 1959 and they're trying to uh nixon is trying to uh work on a relationship between the united states and russia mm-hmm. so apparently they meet at this uh thing with basically where they're selling at the leisurama thing where they're selling these affordable fa- prefabricated homes but they're also basically they're using this as uh um, so Russia can see how an American lives. This is what we do. You know, this is granted. These mm-hmm. were things that weren't really out yet. Like these yeah. prefabricated homes, like they were trying to shop this, you know, but I thought, of yeah. course, this would be a great thing. The president comes through and they talk, you know, and have their meeting basically. So they're kind of walking through like, like an Ikea, if you think about mm-hmm. it, you know, and then being like, Oh, and then I, apparently, so um, not to get too deep into it because I didn't want to, I didn't even write that down, but not to get too deep into it. Basically, like this was to, to kind of basically uh, have a, a an understanding of, you know, so that the United States people can see, you know, these these two leaders, you know, meeting and not, you know, realizing that we're both human and that we, you know, we just need to learn how each other's cultures mm-hmm. work, you know. Uh, but apparently afterwards, uh, uh, Nikita Khrushchev, uh, Khrushchev, uh, went off and stopped, you know, basically said that, you know, some of the stuff that we had was wasteful and stupid and didn't make sense. But these were also like the leisure things were like a lot of things that were stupid and, you know, 
but they were trying to new yeah. things, you know, but yeah. like it became this whole big thing. But I just thought it was funny that it was like the kitchen debate. It was called that because they were some of these pictures. They were walking through the prefabricated kitchen sections of the house. Yeah. Like, yeah. So that all took place on Montauk Island. Yeah. So apparently this whole installation was assembled on Montauk. Crazy. Um, yeah. So it's just like weird little Ikea fake town they created just for this event. Weird. Um, so in 1967, the Coast Guard announced plans to tear down the lighthouse and replace it with a taller steel tower. Uh, erosion had basically um, reduced the buffer from the edge of the cliff to um, from 300 feet when it was uh, built to less than 100 feet. Um, after protests, the Coast Guard backed down from the plan. In 1982, the Air Force Base formally closed and the military began selling its surplus property. Montauk Friends and Olmsted Parks LLC was established in 94 to protest an extensive system of beaches and waterfront properties and roadways. Um, in 1995, Montauk became the birthplace of extreme surf casting technique known as skishing. The sport involves donning a wetsuit and flippers and swimming into the ocean with rod and reel to catch fish while drifting offshore. Um, but that, I, I just thought that was funny. That's why I put that in there. Um, but basically, yeah, they're, at this point, there's everything supposedly closed on the island, and they're just trying to, the community of the area, you know, wants to make sure that the animals are still taken care of that are, you know, because it's basically like wilderness at this point, especially with these buildings closed, you know, the nature is starting to reclaim it at this point, you know. And if I didn't mention before, this is uh, Montauk was the original inspiration for the Stranger Things. As well as, as well as probably a lot of other um, um, sci-fi monster type things, you know. Um, once you kind of learn more about Montauk and like, also like people just growing up in New York and having this whole ooh the Montauk Island, you know, this whole everybody had this fear of it, and there was several books that came out too that were kind of about the conspiracies and speculation. Um, so getting into where it originally started, or at least when people started getting interested was in July, 2008, the Montauk monster, uh, which was an animal carcass that washed ashore on a beach near the business district of Montauk, New York. The identity of the creature and the veracity of stories surrounding it have been subject of controversy and speculation. Uh, the story began on July 23rd, uh, with an article in the newspaper, the F 22 Raptor. Jenna Hewitt, 26, of Montauk, and three friends said that they found the creature on July 12th at the Ditch Plains Beach, two miles east of the district. The beach is a popular surfing spot at Reinstein Estate Park, known, uh, owned by the town of East Hampton. Jenna Hewitt was quoted, We were looking for a place to sit when we saw some people looking at something. We didn't know what it was. We joked that maybe it was something from Plum Island. And Plum Island is... Uh, basically right right next to montauk it's 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 basically connected actually um uh, is a united states uh, uh federal research facility dedicated to the study of foreign animal diseases of livestock so this is literally like right off the ocean like and right off the coast of new york city there is mm -hmm. a research facility for um uh just the study of foreign animal disease um, but it, this is a kind of an important, I don't know, when you read about it, it's, it seems like an important thing to have. Uh, it is the part of, it is part of the Department of Homeland Security 
for a directorate for science and technology and operates as a partnership with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Um, since 1954, the senator has been tasked with protecting America's livestock from animal diseases. During the Cold War, a secret biological weapons program targeting livestock was conducted at the site, which ended in 1969 when President Nixon declared an end to the United States Offensive Bioweapons Program. Um, so at one point, this was used for biological weapons research to kill the other enemies. Um, livestock, so you know their their food supply. Um, but in 1969, you know, apparently it, it ended. You're um, doing finger quotes. You should probably yes, say that. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I guess I should say that. Yeah, yeah, definitely saying finger quotes. Yeah, because that's yeah, that's like that's come on, like it seems it's weird. Yeah. It's like every time something, someone comes out publicly and says, Oh, we're totally ending this. You know, it's like, well, what proof do we have that it's ever ended? You know, like we yeah. like get to go down there anymore or something. I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it did. But anyway, it, it, it was at one point a bioweapons program. Now today the facility maintains laboratories up to biosafety level three, um, which I believe is um, only animal related. Level four is where it can transmit to humans, uh, which those those programs exist all over the fucking country, which is scary as hell to know about that. But mm. that's basically they didn't want it to be. They didn't think it was level level four worthy of a site because if it did get out, New York City is right there. Um, yeah. So apparently, according to this, um, it is uh, biosafety level three but has remained controversial as a result of its high-risk work and proximity to New York metropolitan area. Uh, the facility is slated for closure in 2023, with work moving to the National Bio and Agro Defense Facility under construction in Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, which I thought was funny. That's going to be in another, close to another Manhattan. Um, so apparently, apparently it's not running right now because they're moving. But it's, it definitely means they're running. Uh, the center is located on Plum Island, uh, comprises of 70 buildings. Plum Island has its own fire department, power plant, water treatment plant, and security. Any wild mammal seen on the island is killed to prevent the possible transmission of foot and mouth disease. So any, any, any wild animal that's there that it existed at all, they have to kill because of it possibly spreading the disease too you know, another animal and it gets onto the city. Mm -hmm. And foot and mouth disease is a huge deal. Uh, it is um, uh, foot and mouth disease or hoof and mouth disease, uh, which is an infectious and sometimes fatal viral disease that affects cloven hoofed animals, including domestic and wild uh, bovids, which would be cows and stuff. Uh, the virus causes a high fever lasting two to six days, followed by blisters inside the mouth and on the feet that may rupture and cause lameness. However, as Plum Island was named as an important bird area by the New York Audubon Society, it has attracted different birds. Plum Island has placed osprey nests and bluebird boxes throughout the island. As of 2008, new kestrel houses were planned to be added. So basically they added um, birds of prey to, to keep other birds out of the, uh, mm -hmm. to kill other birds, you know, that would be there. 
Um, William Wise, director of Stony Brook University's Living Marine Resources Institute, inspected the photo along with a colleague. They deemed the creature a fake, although Wise's next best guess was that the creature could be a diseased dog or coyote, which had been in the sea for a while, uh, which kind of makes me think the, the pit bull thing is probably pretty spot on. Uh, Wise discounted the following general possibilities. Raccoon, the legs appear to be too long in proportion to the body. Couldn't be a sea turtle because they don't have fur or teeth. Couldn't be a rodent because um, rodents have two large, very distinctive incisor teeth in front of their mouths. Mm-hmm. Um, the It could be a dog or other canine, but the corpse uh, is dog-like, but the eye ridge and feet do not match exactly. The sheep or other bovine, although the face looks somewhat bovine, uh, ovine sheep do not have sharp teeth. Um, so like I said, it's kind of like a mismatch of a lot of different animals, you know, which is freaky, I guess. Yeah. Um, so a couple of like references, uh, 1975, the character Quint from the movie Jaws played by Robert Shaw was based on Frank Mundus. Uh, like I told that shark hunter from Montauk, um, in the movie Quint mentions he caught a six foot shark off Montauk. In the episode One at the Beach in season three of American sitcom Friends, the six friends go to Montauk to find more about find out more about Phoebe Buffet's birth mother. Um, Long Island residents President Preston B. Nichols and Peter Moon wrote a science fiction novel, The Montauk Project's Experiment in Time, in which it was claimed the radar was used by the government to conduct time travel experiments. Among the claims is that it drove the residents of Montauk mad and their children were kidnapped. The book and its sequels were to expand on many Montauk tales and other East End stories. The book has been perceived by some to be true, and the base has assumed something of a cult status among conspiracy buffs. It was also featured in a segment of The X-Files. Mm-hmm. Uh, a 1971 New York Times article, which is definitely one of my references, described the facility as a devil's island for the deadliest animal disease germs known to man, and described the elaborate security measures. They include round-the-clock patrols along the island's perimeter, uh, buildings with airlocks to keep bacteria and viruses from escaping, and holding tanks to sterilize the wastewater from mandatory showers taken by staffers uh, before leaving at the end of the workday, uh, which I was thinking about because I was always, you know, like, yeah, I guess you'd have to sterilize all the water, you know, even after you, you know, you shower, uh, which I guess is good. But that's still weird that, you know, eventually that sterilized water goes back into the ocean. Mm. hopefully it's sterilized okay um even inside the buildings there are rooms with lower air pressures than others so that the flow never carries airborne bacteria from a highly contaminated room to a less contaminated room uh, which i thought was really cool Uh, doors to the most contaminated rooms are painted red uh they open and a whoosh of air blows into the room until the door is closed Inside, air is continually sucked out of the laboratory and passed through special filters capable of straining out a single bacterium before it is vented outside. Everyone who enters the lab must first remove all clothing, clothing including rings and eyeglasses, and don white laboratory clothes and shoes. At the end of the day or any time a worker must leave the lab, he is required to shower. This includes a detailed ritual of blowing the nose, scrubbing the face, hands and fingernails with germicidal soap before entering the shower, and then bathing under a high-pressure jet, again with strong germicidal soap. Uh, Wastewater from the showers and other lab operations is piped to special holding tanks where, like I said, it's sterilized before they discharge it. 
Uh, because uh, several diseases may be under study in separate rooms within the building, it is necessary for persons going from one to the other to shower upon entering to the room, the room and again when leaving. Uh, one scientist is said to have set, had such a complicated work schedule one day that his movements around the island required him to take 18 showers. <laughs> wow. Which I guess is good. Um, as a further precaution, all employees on the island, uh, in the even secretaries in the presumably uncontaminated administration building, are required to sign an affidavit saying that they are three days, that for three days after their last time on the island, they will avoid going near. Uh, agricultural, zoo, or circus animals. Uh, those who have been in a lab building must refrain for seven days. So if you work in the lab, you can't go to the zoo afterwards mm. unless it's been seven days. Uh, for many scientists and technicians at Plum Island, this means they almost never go to a zoo or even to a farm to visit the animals they are helping to protect. Uh, we have we had a very good example the other day of the kind of thing we deal with here, Dr. Callis said. This is uh, something that we have we could have been a sorry. This is something that could have been a disaster for parts of this country, African swine fever. But really, very people knew about it. Last May, Dr. Callis recalled Floridians heard radio broadcasts from Cuba that a devastating epidemic was killing thousands of pigs on that island. It was diagnosed as African swine fever, a virus disease once confined to Africa, but which occasionally breaks out elsewhere, usually because waste pork containing the dormant virus is carried by ship to some distant port where it becomes garbage used to feed pigs. The disease spreads rapidly and is nearly always fatal. There is no known cure. The usual method of pre preventing spread is to kill all exposed pigs before they can pass on the virus. Cuban agricultural workers, Dr. Callis said, killed, uh, uh, killed 30,000 infected and exposed pigs only to find the virus had spread farther. It then became necessary to slaughter 430,000 pigs which was every pig in the Havana province. So it is a serious thing and yeah, to, to keep in check. Mm -hmm. uh, in part of the risk of a terrorist attack on the facility in 2003, it was transferred to the Department of Homeland Security, even though agriculture researchers continued to work there and additional measures such as door sensors and alarms were added. As this 2007 Government Accountability Office reports describes an Al-Qaeda operative, Al operative who was arrested in 2008 in Afghanistan had a written list of various potential targets in the U.S. that included Plum Island. Uh, this is according to the U.S. Department of Justice. Plum Island houses the only foot-and-mouth disease vaccine bank in North America, which means a variety of vaccines that have been developed to combat more than 60 different strains of diseases. Uh, those vaccines could be deployed in the event that the disease uh, began to spread uh, throughout U.S., Canada, or Mexico, and it's regularly updated. <clears throat> Additionally, if an animal becomes sick and develops suspicious lesions or other signs of the disease, tissue samples are sent to Plum Island for analysis. Uh, veterinarians come to Plum Island for training. They work at Plum Island uh, was instrumental in the conquest of Rinderpest, a deadly cattle disease that is the only, only the <clears throat> that is only one of the two diseases. Uh, sorry, one of the sorry. A deadly cattle disease that is only uh, one of the two uh, worst, uh, deadliest diseases, which is smallpox, is the other one, uh, that have been totally eradicated. <clears throat> uh, although the Plum Island facility and its 400-person workforce have been an important part of the nation's defenses, uh, it is scheduled to be shut down in 2023. 
uh, for the $1.25 billion project being constructed in Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, what happens after uh, to Plum Island after the animal disease isn't clear. The U.S. General Services Administration has advertised the island and its buildings for sale. So it's not sure if it's going to be able to be used as like, uh, like, like they're not going to give it back to nature and, you know, let the mm. animals come back, uh, which is kind of, uh, too bad. Um, environmentalist groups filed a lawsuit in 2016, seeking to prevent the government from going ahead with the sale on the grounds that it hadn't compiled, complied with requirements of various federal environmental laws. Uh, after GSA unsuccessfully sought to get the suit dismissed, the agency announced in August that it would hold off on the sale in order to prepare a new environmental impact statement to augment the review it had done in 2013. So it's possible that they might be able to save it, you know, but all the stuff is still listed as being sold. Nothing is apparently going on right now at the building, you know, um, it's, I don't know, I feel like anytime something like this is ever discovered or, you know, any evidence is received or recovered, it's like Area 51, you know, like, you're probably not going to do mm. a lot of bigger projects there anymore because now there's such a spotlight on it. So, you know, whether or not yeah. it was a place or not, I guess, you know, it's not irrelevant, but it is, it was definitely, they used it for every military service ever, you know, and it was also used for for researching biological weapons for biosafety level three, you know, that's what that's mm -hmm. known. So who knows what's not known, you know, but it's a military installation. So like anything military, we'll never know. They're not going to ever disclose that. But yeah, that's Montauk Island and the Montauk monster. Very cool. It's a trippy one. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that's, uh, hope everyone feels hopeful for the future now. <laughs> <laughs> Disoriented. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of my weird little podcast. Uh, and if you can follow us on, uh, Instagram or Facebook at my weird little podcast. And please share this with your friends or coworkers who are into weird stuff. Stay spooky, everyone. Ooh. Ooh.